0: You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCR LP, Santa Cruz.
1: Hi, this is Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah.
0: You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host Tony Duchesne. Today on the show we have Barbara DeMarco Barrett. She is the editor of Palm Springs Noir, out now on Akashic Books. Barbara, how are you? Hi, Tony. I love the list of um, contributors you've had. I have like, I've had like five of them on my show. Yes, you have at least. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) It's good times. Janet Fitch, Rob, Roberge, Todd Goldberg, all the cool people,
1: all the cool people. What
0: was, what is, what is it about Palm Springs? What's, what's, what's Palm Springs and Noir.
1: That, that's a great question. You I hope know. so because it sounded
0: <laughs> it sounded so pompous when I said it out loud and I was like, oh my God, Terry Gross would even squirm at that part of the city so Thank you
1: well, No, everybody's asking that question and I I'm trying to figure it out actually. I'm trying to figure out what the answer is because I'll tell you maybe where it began and that is um, about eight years ago I started leading writers retreats in the desert. And I would rent a house, I would find a house um, somewhere in in one of the neighborhoods and I would um, first check out the Palm Springs crime log to see what kind of crime was going on in the city because I thought, you know, it's Palm Springs, everybody loves to go there and relax and, and I used to go there and relax, but I never looked at the crime log until I started leading these writers' retreats because I wanted to make sure that um, my students and people that came to the retreats would be safe. And there's so a this- lot <laughs> now you
0: can't relax when you go to Palm Springs There's you know crime. how many problems there are.
1: <laughs> right, like anywhere, like any city. Um, and Palm Springs in particular has more crime in that city than the surrounding Coachella Valley. Wow. So I found that really interesting that it's a place where- People go to, to kind of let down their guard. And in the meantime, the opportunists take advantage of that. And so this idea started brewing that it's this beautiful place where all this stuff is going on, kind of like the water under the ground. You know, Palm Springs has underwater lakes and you don't see them unless on the on the 111, I think, as you're coming in, if you pull off the road at this particular place, you can see Um, kind of where water is gathering and where it's going to go in to the ground. And so there's all this stuff going on that is unseen. So I just, I love going out there and the more I was going out there and I had already had a story in orange County noir Uh that then was pulled for um, USA noir, the best of the Akashic noir series. I thought, I have to do palm springs noir i just have to because i want to read stories darkish stories that take place in the desert and you know they say write the book you want to write you want to read it it was the book i wanted to read i wanted to read a a collection of stories that took place out there and so all of that went to seed the idea that um that prompted me to approach akashic
0: so are, are you from southern california
1: I'm from Pennsylvania.
0: Oh, okay. And then because the like I've been to Palm Springs once. I I go to Palm Springs when I have meetings there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's it. And I I I don't I I can't relax when it's 110.
1: (laughs) You can (laughs) stay inside.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And then I could go outside when it's 95 at four in the morning, right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, yeah. It's It's an interesting city because I just, um, well, an interesting area. Do they call it a city? They they say.
1: It's a desert city. Yeah. It's one of the desert cities. So I just
0: I think I'm already in a desert in L.A. I guess I'm from San Francisco, so I'm in L.A. and I'm still like kind of going, yeah, it's a little too hot.
1: (laughs) You know, I'm curious why you moved down here from San Francisco. I've heard you say that before on the show.
0: Why did um, you move? I moved in 2013 um, because a movie that I wrote uh, confessions of a teenage Jesus jerk went into pre-production. So I needed oh. to get my ass down here. You had to be here. Yeah. To be a part of it. But I was also going to leave Sam. I knew I was leaving San Francisco and I wasn't sure if it was New York or LA.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, I grew up in the Bay area, but uh, there was, it was just, it was drying up all my right. All my writer friends, all my musician friends, all my creative friends were just bouncing mm-hmm. out. And, it, you know, uh, people blame tech and gentrification. And I, I don't blame anything. It's like cities change. San Francisco is just changing. And it wasn't conducive to the, cre- it wasn't conducive for creative people to yeah. really stay and work yes. together and have a community. And that's when it's like, okay, I, I need to bounce. And then the film got the green light. And so LA was the opening. And then when I came to LA, I was like, oh my God, it's, I didn't know that much about LA. And I come down here and there's so many cool things. It's, it's another beautiful thing where, like you say in Palm Springs, where you don't know there's underwater, underwater uh, lakes. And then you can, if you really look, you can see them. The beauty of like something that can look like a strip mall, but then you go inside and you see actually what's happening and what they've done to it, and mm-hmm. there, there's there's are there's creative juices here that I just adore, and it's yeah. it's great, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's hard to leave.
0: Yeah. yeah. When did you move from Pennsylvania?
1: Actually, I went to school in Vermont, and oh. um, I lived in a studio in Vermont that I heated with wood, and in the when it's thirty below. This little wood stove goes out in the middle of the night, and there's ice in the toilet when you get up in the morning. No so, way. after a number of days of that, I um, got my degree and, and wanted to defrost. And so I took a long road trip to San Francisco, actually, where a lot of my friends from Goddard were. And oh. I was there until I think around 86. And then I moved down here. So, the, the, um,
0: of- that's cold.
1: That was cold. Yeah. Ice. Yeah. I mean, ice in the toilet, you know, it's like, yeah, I was going to stay there. You know, I wanted to stay in Vermont, but then I was encouraged to see the world a little bit before I stayed in Vermont. So
0: I do love new England though. It's beautiful out there. It's
1: It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And Vermont has a lot of the same type of people as San Francisco. huh. It's um, certain, a certain, you know, relax, uh, uh, casual quality that i appreciated yeah, so, yeah. Where, where
0: were you in san francisco when you were up there
1: i mostly lived in um the upper castro uh-huh. um sort of below the tower to the left of noe valley um yeah near the hate, cool. and not close enough to the hate that i would walk over okay hill, oh over perfect.
0: that is such a perfect spot because you're just located yeah. between so many great neighborhoods yeah. my uh my great grandparents down to my uh down to all the till about a decade ago they had a house in the family that was on 18th and douglas i don't know if that rings a bell. oh
1: sure okay yeah no. yeah 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 so i was at 17th and mars i was on mars street okay yeah it's close
0: yeah yeah and it's just it's, and i remember in the 80s my great grand my grandparents were just know it's kind of noe valley and they're just sitting there going all these yuppies are coming in they were utterly disgusted and i think that's why i didn't give a crap about the gentrification narrative because i just Mm -hmm. i heard it from the old people and i didn't care and then it's just like okay well you know just just go where the creativity is but i still have so many friends i love in san francisco i love going back up so
1: yeah i haven't been back since uh 2004 oh wow Yeah. So I'm sure uh, when I go, it's going to be much, much different. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was more involved in the music scene. So like all the clubs and Mm -hmm. small clubs that have like died since then. It's all, yeah, that's a different city.
1: Yeah. Different city.
0: And and you're, you're, you're also a fellow podcaster with uh, talking about the words like I do, but you do, I'm sure you prepare in a different way. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a
1: little. Yeah. <laughs> my show, like, it, I'm trying to think of when it began. It began, um, it's been on for about 23 years um, from KCI. Oh my
0: God, so we broadcast,
1: Yeah, we broadcast from UC Irvine. I don't know that it's going to stay on the radio that much longer because now that we've been in this pandemic, um, my co-host and I have been doing all of the shows from home. You know, that's why I have a new microphone and I have yeah. all this stuff because... Um, do we need to be on the radio, you know, and go to the station and limit the show to an hour? And, you know, it's been great, but maybe it's time to just do the podcast.
0: I love in studio. I mean, I, in LA, I haven't been able to do in studio in San Francisco. I was in studio at a Earth. few different places and just the, just the, when I turn the mic on, we're live. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's nothing like it. I it's um I do miss that a lot. If I if I live close to a uh radio station that would have me, I would be there and Yeah, the you park.
1: got a point. You got a
0: point. Yeah. It's and and your guests are right in front of you and they have that scared look on their face and you, and you, <laughs> you go, "Don't worry, I got this. We'll just just relax we while we we'll, we'll all we'll all have fun in the end."
1: You know, now I we will have guests mostly um on the phone because it's orange Mm. County it's Irvine at nine in the morning on a Wednesday and it's um traffic is horrible for people coming from LA if they're on book tour in LA coming down it's like you know what we'll just do it on the phone yeah so it's not exactly the same you know as I'm sure what you experienced before pandemic and maybe soon again yeah
0: yeah like well like now see we're on zoom right now Right. But but I can see you. It's the I I will never do a phone interview again. I, it's like I have to see the person, mm. so I can look at their utter disgust or their joy right. when I ask a question. And you know, it's it's kind of like I need the vibe. I guess I need so, the validation.
1: It's my. Problem. Are you an extrovert? You must be an extrovert.
0: I'm right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I really need my like kind of alone stuff. But when it comes to doing anything that's. Um, that's essentially quote unquote performance-based like a podcast or a panel sure. discussion. I kind of really just, I need the, um, the pressure.
1: Hmm. So yeah. That's interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I need, I need the possibility of everything could really go wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then,
0: and, then if it, and then if it does go wrong, it still has to be on tape. The last thing that needs you know, it's, if it goes wrong, it's on tape. I had a, um, yeah. I even, I, there's been times where I've like, I've been so nervous on interview. You know, this was probably 15 years ago when I would like interview like James Elroy and people like mm-hmm. that. And I'd be at their hotel room and I'd be so nervous. and it would go South, but I wouldn't care because it was taped and I was sitting there and I was <laughs> trying and I sucked, you know, and then now it's just, now I'm, I'm, uh, uh, what do you call it? Yeah. It's now it's, there's, there's just a joy to, uh, the possibilities of what can happen
1: so how did you come up i feel like i'm interviewing you now but sorry we're just chatting no i'm so curious how you came up with the format of your show i
0: start so i used i used to run this online and i'll lose this i use this term very loosely online literary magazine Uh (laughs) it's called cherry bleeds (laughs) it was essentially me and my friends just uh putting a web magazine together in 1999 uh-huh. And we will post short stories and poems. And then I would have a book of um, a book of the month club because I realized if you do that, publishers send you books. Uh-huh. And it blew my mind. And I was like, really? you know? And then um, one publisher sent me a book. But I had the review copy of Chuck Polinick uh-huh. And then they said, hey, uh, he's going to be in town. Do you want to interview him? And I said, yes. And they said, what's it for? And I said, uh, 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 the Cherry Bleeds Literary Web Stream. And they said, "Well, that sounds technical." Okay, so then I went and had lunch <laughs> with him, and that was the that was and that was the first interview I did where I taped it, and it was at a um, it was at a lunch slash kind of bar in um, Berkeley, and then the next interview I did was with Mark Haskell Smith in 2002, mm-hmm. and I was riding my bicycle with my recording gear in my backpack over to um, Jack London Square in Oakland to meet him. We were meeting at a bar where I was going to tape, and in my head I went, "It's drinks with Tony." Uh. And I and I got there and I was like, dude, I was like, you know the show that I told you about? It's now called Drinks with Tony. I just thought of it. He's like, great name, and I'm like, yeah, it's so weird. And then it just stuck. And part of part of me kind of hates it that it stuck because then everyone's just like, oh, we got to booze up before the show. And I used to booze up a lot when we even when we were on air. And you know, every, there were times where it was just like very sloppy. Now I'm like, no, 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 no. I have to drink coffee because I want to be aware of what's going mm-hmm.
1: on. Mm-hmm so
0: Plus yeah, you're so,
1: doing some engineering, I mean, you have to. Right? Too,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it, there's, there's that. I mean, but I, there's, I used to de- you know, I used to DJ so many like dive bars and clubs that, with vinyl. So mm-hmm. I could have like a drink in a hand and like have right. have a queuing up the next record <laughs> and talking to another person and you know trying to and I, I get a joy out of um all the all the thi- having that many things to do with mine. Yeah. The line. yeah.
1: Huh. Yeah. It's interesting. I always wondered as I've been listening to your show. It's like, how did you start this? All right. Yeah. yeah. And then I restarted it. Cause I stopped
0: it when I came to LA. Um, and I did my last show in studio at radio Valencia in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm in LA, I'm out. And I had no time for anything after that. And then the, the film came out and then I just felt nothing. And I was just really depressed. And I was walking down the street one day and I'm like, and I was just like, what was, what is something that makes me happy? And I'm like, drinks with tony but i don't know i'm not connected in the radio community in los angeles you know just, mm-hmm. that's a very san francisco thing for me and i was like i'll just podcast it and then that's and so in 2018 i was like and you know what it's going to be weekly and i'll do it until nobody shows up right and then and i'm like i got to use the same name so the publicist will remember who i am because mm-hmm. I've, I've even even at festival, all the time's festival of books, you know, after working on a novel, after working on a film, after pulling my blood out, people would be like, oh, this is Tony. He's the author of Confessions of a Teenage Jesus jerk. blank look. And he hosts Drinks with Tony. You're the Drinks with Tony guy. And I'm like, <laughs> oh what? are you kidding me? No, no, that's not the hard one. The other one's the hard one. Right,
1: right, right. This uh, is the fun one. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, exactly.
0: So maybe maybe it's my fault for making it hard. And I should make these other projects easier than everyone else.
1: Yeah. There's something.
0: Yeah. What do you do? So when you have an author come on your show, especially if you're um, taping uh, via phone, do you, do you really like dive into the book and kind of really come up with specific? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much.
1: I do. If I don't, um, if I don't read the book, what happens? I mean, usually I do read the book because, and sometimes I read the book before I've even um, um, booked someone because I've had the experience of, booking a writer and then reading the book and then going, I don't like this book. (laughs) What am I going to do? And then we talk about craft and process. And there's always a ton to talk about, but it's better when I like the book and when I've read the book. And so I have thought that it would be fun to kind of segue into a different format and to have more chat, kind of like what you do. Because I think, I don't know, I, I like listening to people just kind of riff. Uh, on one another you know i think that's interesting but yeah i do i do dive into the book and we talk a whole lot about craft and process which,
0: which i love i love listening mm-hmm. to those shows it's
1: yeah.
0: like um then there's i think part of me also doesn't want to be scared when an author is too good so i have had like lead child on the show mm-hmm. um i never read a thing of his and and then he came on and i'm like i love this guy and i i and then i i read i read uh half of a jack reacher book and i'm like mm-hmm. and i can't stand this character <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just like yeah I'm, I, did, I i'm glad i can come in without having the um being upset about their writing but loving the right. writing process right. another recent guest was tess Gerritsen. she has a new book called choose me yes i heard that one yeah and i and she's kind of big so i didn't want to i didn't want to know anything just wanted to chat And then it's usually I'll read like maybe 20 pages and that's my, that's my, uh, that's my prep. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but afterwards I read the whole thing and I loved it
1: and it was, and it was
0: just a beautiful surprise. I'm just like, Oh my God. I still have to send her a note, tell her I liked it. Cause you always have to tell authors you like their books. If you, uh, if you read them,
1: what if you don't like it? Then I just say nothing. (laughs) Yeah, it's trouble when I mean I have you ever had someone on that you thought you liked, and then you had them on your show, and then you didn't even like them.
0: Yes, I've actually had two authors I have not aired because
1: hmm.
0: uh, not not just because I don't like them. I don't mind if I don't like people, if um, if they're truly disgusting people, <laughs> it's I, I won't even mention their names. I I'm like. This is disrespectful to the other um uh, and and there sure. it's big authors like, like mm-hmm. one is a very big time best-selling author that i just went kill sure. Boom, that's it um which and it's just like because i don't want i just don't want bad vibe you know yeah
1: yeah i had a poet on once that i when i was first starting out that i loved his stuff so much. And then I had him on the show and you know how, when you're interviewing someone, you don't want to ask um, close-ended questions. You want, you don't want a yes or no, right? You want them to have to elaborate. And he found a way to say yes or no to everything. And afterward it's like, I'm never reading you again. I don't love yeah. you anymore. And it was horrible. horrible. Well, that,
0: and that's the fun of a chat conversation. Cause if someone just keeps saying yes or no, you can ask them, Why are you saying yes or no? What are you trying to avoid in this conversation? What dark, dirty, secret thoughts are in your mind that you don't want me to know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, good good point.
0: (laughs) I like to present challenges. (laughs) (laughs) But its I think in the end, 95% of the time, I just love writers. I Uh love writers' brains. And even even if I don't like them, I think you know, even if there's people, there's people I'm like, yeah, I would never have lunch with that person, Mm
1: -hmm. but I'm
0: glad I got to talk to them for an hour because it was very interesting and they have a very different process and I would never, you know, I'm not a fan of their work, but that doesn't matter because we did good talk.
1: Yeah. Would you, um, if you didn't have your show, would, are you the kind of person who would call Someone up, call up a writer and say, I just want to take you out to lunch because I, I like your work. I like you. Would you do that? Or does the show oh, help you to have those conversations?
0: That is a good question. Because I
1: would never do that. I would never yes. call someone you know, up. But my show allows me to sit and talk with them for an hour.
0: Yes, it's that's exactly the beauty of it. Because I have I have some friends that are so busy sometimes, where especially if they're you know, if I have friends coming through town and they're authors and back when I had to do it live in person Mm because I I didn't I always met someone at a cafe um I it would be my time to be able to hang out with my friend for an hour Mm -hmm. (laughs) and be like all right and they got they got their escort with them to go to the next thing right so there's a beauty to it and there's a beauty to um to having to put it in the calendar Mm yeah I uh I, I kind of um I have, I, I neglect so many of my friends that I have to go to lunch with them first before I find a, you know, random author. But since I'm doing a quote show, Mm -hmm. then it's, then I can go to lunch with the authors and it may, yeah, it makes me do it. You're right. That's exactly why it's, I wouldn't call anyone. I, I, have I done that before? People have done that to me. They're like, can I, I'll be in San Francisco. Can I take you out for a drink or I'll be in LA. Can I take you out for a drink? And I'm like, yeah, you seem like not stalkery. Uh, I'll see you Mm -hmm. there. (laughs) And I've never Very really trusting. had any. I've never really had any problems um, mm-hmm. when I do that. And I think mostly because we're at either a bar or a cafe, and it's just sure. like if it's a problem, I can just get up and walk away. And then my you used,
1: used to do your show at a cafe or a bar, right? when we before the pandemic, you would sit somewhere live and turn it yeah, on. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, um, that was I wouldn't I would never do anyone on Zoom. It would always had to be uh, in person before before pandemic. So like even when I had a Todd Goldberg's brother on uh, Lee Goldberg, Uh we were at the alcove in Los Feliz. There were no seats. The whole bar was packed. So I had all my gear on me, and we were just in a corner doing the mic like this.
1: That's fun. And
0: I just love that he was he was like okay this is weird, but he played along with it. And it turned out to be a great interview because it's just. Everyone kind of looks at you for, you get like, well, looks for about three minutes and then all of a sudden it's normal and no one cares.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's just, a um, there, there's a different level of energy to it when, sure. when there's people, when you just show up to a place and this, all oh, this one podcaster really pissed me off because I had this author that was doing two in uh, the podcast was like, well, where are you going to be at? I'll come to the alcove. And then, uh, so I was interviewing him, you know, I, I'm lo-fi. I don't go in there with a ton of gear. I just got my mic, one mic. I'm doing it back and forth. This podcaster comes in. He's got his mixer. He's got two mics <laughs> and, and he goes over and he goes over to the staff and he goes, Hey, I'm, you know, Tony's doing a podcast here. I'm after him. And they're like, we don't do, we don't allow podcast here. And I was just, and I was mad at him. I was just like, what are you doing? You're going to kill my gig because you can't be low key.
1: Right. Oh my! God. Will you go back to that when when we're totally open and free?
0: Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get back east, um, like uh, October, October. I'm, I'm trying to get back east more. So when I get mm-hmm. back there, I'll bring my recording gear and I'll just get all of my New York friends and be like, "We're meeting here. We're meeting here. We're meeting here." And right. Stack them up too. Yeah. Nice,
1: nice. Yeah, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's it fun is. to
0: it's fun to do it in a situation where. Nobody knows you're doing it and you just show up and you start taping and it, mm-hmm. and it, and everyone's a little thrown off for a minute. And then it's just normal.
1: <laughs> it's weird. That's that living on the edge that you like. A
0: little bit. Yeah. A
1: little
0: bit. Yeah. Like I do have like anxiety about things I'll do. I will have social anxiety, but put a microphone in front of me and throw pressure on me, throw me on a stage mm-hmm. and that, that part of the anxiety goes away and I just get nervous about trying to create something
1: that I like
0: that. Yeah, God, I feel like you're giving me so much therapy today. What, <laughs> what, what else can I bring up?
1: <laughs> Tell me more.
0: Well, it is therapeutic to do a do a podcast just because I love writing in books. I mean, that's.
1: What genre do you write? Do
0: you have what, a genre? What, what? How I write? Your um, genre? Yeah, what, yeah. Are you
1: like literary? or are you? They call it literary, mystery?
0: but kind of coming of age. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to write a mystery. Um, I'm not very good at it. Maybe not being not very good at it will uh, prove to be okay. In the end,
1: who says you're not very good at it,
0: my brain.
1: Well, tell your brain to shut up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How do you tell your brain to shut up when that comes?
1: You know, I just, I probably at that point do some free writing. I had a writing book come out a bunch of years ago called pen on fire and kind of take my own advice, which is to kind of just let it rip and turn off the editor. Until I have a draft and then decide what it is then, you know, instead of all that judging that we do before we start.
0: I know it'll
1: shut it down. Right.
0: The judging thing. And that, that's one of the reasons why I have to handwrite on yellow legal pads because mm-hmm. it can't be precious. And I feel like if I'm talking right. into a computer that costs a lot of money, it's a problem. Mm. But if I'm just doing, if I'm writing on something that could be tossed away or easily burned and set on fire sure there's a
1: but there's also something to the handwriting you know where you have this direct um connection with the paper your thoughts through the arm through the pen or pencil onto the paper instead of going through technology yeah there's something much more direct i think and enjoyable about that I mean, I ha- you might see all these, I mean, people who are, Oh, you got a type. Oh,
0: you got, Oh my God. Is that multiple typewriters you have behind
1: you? Yeah. So I have typewriters and I have fountain pens and both. I find to be just wow. extremely useful tools because they're fun. And yes. so it's fun to, to write those drafts, the first drafts anyway. Do you write first drafts on typewriter? Then typewriter or pen fountain pen. Wow.
0: I love all yeah. the typewriters behind you too. The listeners, yeah. there's about
1: 10, 11. Yeah,
0: a- <laughs> oh my God.
1: <laughs> there's some bunch.
0: That yeah. is just beautiful. Yeah. I was walking down the street and there was all this, there was a garbage heap. This was about three months ago. And I saw a typewriter case and I was like, is there a typewriter in there? So I just opened it and there was a typewriter in there an Underwood and I went, okay. Wow. I just picked it up, walked it home. I started typing on it. It worked. The ribbon was brand new. I'm like, I'm typing letters to my friends now on the the typewriter.
1: Yeah. Well, when you find yourself getting blocked up and you don't know what to do or you're judging, just do it on the typewriter and have fun with it and see what happens. Yeah. It, It can be really extremely useful. You just give yourself over to it. When did you,
0: when did you know you wanted to become a writer?
1: Well, um, I think as a child, I wrote little stories, but I didn't connect that with being a writer. And then I was at Goddard College and I was, I went there to be a therapist actually, because I had done a lot of um, counseling after high school. I was.
0: Can can I just tell you that explains the whole dynamic of this show (laughs) that you, of course you're a therapist.
1: (laughs) I, I had been a counselor a number of, times in my life. But so then, and every few years I go, you know, maybe I should go and get a a MFCC or a PhD. And then it's like, no, you're a writer, forget about that. But anyway, I was in a, um, I think my end of my first semester, um, I was in a physiology class and at the end of the semester, the instructor handed me back my paper and said, you know, you did your, your research really well, great research, but I don't hear a voice. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And he said, Why don't you take a writing class? And so I did. And then I got sucked into it that way. I didn't, it wasn't that I thought I'm going to be a writer. What I wanted was to be able to put my thoughts and feelings on the page because I was raised in a home with Italian speaking parents who did not want me to learn the language. They wanted me to be like a nice white girl who spoke English and lived in that world and not not the Italian world. And so, you know, I would often be frustrated with them because they'd have these great conversations in Italian and I would be so frustrated. I'd just go away. I didn't try to learn. So I was also kind of disconnected with how you put feelings and thoughts on the page, how that happens. And so studying writing in college really was more about that, connecting up. And it wasn't, um, until an instructor had me um, send my stories out, that I I realized, oh, I could do this as something as a, you know, vocation, and um, but it wasn't like oh, I want to be a writer. It was more like oh, I really want to be able to express my myself really.
0: Wow. So you're where in Pennsylvania, where, where did you live in an Italian neighborhood? Was there kind of like, did your friends? No, that
1: there? was part of the problem. We okay. live, I was brought up in Altoona, which is right in the center of the state. Um, mm-hmm. kind of, I think Northwest of Harrisburg, it was very white. Um, the only black people I ever saw were maids. Um, the only Italians I ever saw. Well, I think my parents said one, um, Italian couple friend and we'd have to go out back to Philly to the suburbs of Philly to visit the relatives to see see the Italians. So no, they were trying to be like everybody else. Um, except my father came from Sicily and had a very heavy um, Sicilian New York accent. And so he wasn't exactly accepted into, into the group. Um, so no, they, no, we didn't I didn't grow up around Italians on a daily basis, but I missed that. You know, I really so when we went to the relatives two weeks a year, it was uh, great fun to visit and and be in that world.
0: Were the relatives in <clears throat> Sicily or was um
1: No, no, in Philly, outside Philly.
0: Yeah, when because I was I was assuming you were from Philly and I was just like there's gotta be a great Italian population there, I would
1: think. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't we moved um to the suburbs when I think seventh grade. So yeah. then, I, then I was around the family, and but you know, at that point, I was just as interested in not knowing Italian as they had been, you know, hoping for me to not get involved in the language.
0: Right, I get that.
1: Yeah. Do you do you parlay Italiano at all now? Very little. Yeah. I can understand some, and very little though.
0: How, have you been to Italy? No. Oh, you haven't? Yeah, wait. Because no. it would be interesting if you went, just how much you probably really know, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's I want about. to, I do want to. Um, but no, I haven't. I mean, I've been I've traveled um to the east. I've been to India, I've been to Japan and Singapore and those places, but um never the other direction, as far as New York, and then that's it.
0: What what, what, uh, what country on your travels did you feel the most culture shock in?
1: Um, <clears throat> I think coming back to the U.S. after India. Really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, yeah really.
1: <laughs> how, how long were you in India? I went to India um, three different times for several weeks each time. I was studying meditation. and um, Really? That was sort of a retreat you know, to the meditation yeah. center and, and, and all that, which was wonderful. I loved India. Um, yeah. I felt very at home at India, but it was in India. But when I would come back, I, I just, I'm like, I don't belong here. I need, I should be over there.
0: <laughs> Do you think part of that is because you were able to just meditate and kind of really connect with yourself as well? Where, where we're in the Western world, it's kind of like, Hey, you know what you're doing? Get the chatter louder and louder in your head.
1: Maybe. Well, I was living in San Francisco at the time. So and I was loving San Francisco, but I think it was just the people there, you know, it was multicultural, which is where I'm most comfortable. And it was, um, you know, the people, I'd meet so many people that didn't have much but had this inner happiness that um, just made me look at life here in a, a whole other way. You know, it was you know, they'd have, there'd be such warmth coming through their eyes. And, um, and they had not much, you know, it's, not so, much.
0: it's so intriguing, because the word wealth doesn't necessarily mean what you have right. monetarily. It's also just what you have as a human, you know, it's right. And when you and when you see people that really exhibit that it's really cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Where I live right now, I'm, I'm down in Orange Counties, you know, and I live in a a town where, you know, everybody has more money than us. And so there's like, uh, you know, expensive cars everywhere. And there's so much entitlement. And I, and I think, you know, I I know people who are envious of that and I'm not envious of that because it's like, what it's stuff. I mean, it's beautiful stuff for sure. But, you know, I'm more envious of, I think people who have that, um, that inner, um, happiness, because that seems to be so much harder to come by.
0: Yeah. That, what we and, all
1: want, right. We all want that.
0: Oh, tell me about it. And, and then I keep like, I keep trying to find, you know, how to, how to get what, how do I, this, this was, this is a fun realization. How do I stop having anxiety and how do I get happy? And then I keep reading books and they're like, oh, no, you don't stop anxiety. You have to struggle or you'll never be happy. There always has to be a struggle. Mm. And it blows my mind. But it's so true that happiness isn't staying still and being drinking margaritas on a beach. Happiness is working on something and having problems.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And working on what you love and which is why you need to keep writing and shut off that inner editor.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's true. Yeah. I mean, we I don't know why we have come to think it's something other than it is, but
0: well, I think we're, we're getting yeah. messages we're getting messages constantly, but because people want us to buy stuff. So it's just that there's no real care and like you know, Coca-Cola going, well, exactly how should we how should we approach this if we want humanity to be better? All right. they want you to do is buy more
1: Coke. Right. <laughs> That's right. It. Right. Do you still practice meditation? Or are you a
0: daily practicer? No.
1: Yeah. No, no, I'm not. I sometimes, but not as I was. I mean, it was back then we were getting up at four in the morning to meditate. And wow. it was a big deal. It was a big deal, much bigger deal. I don't know if that I was any more relaxed than I am now. Not that I'm that relaxed now. I just, I mean, I think anxiety, it probably helped quell anxiety a little bit more, but then it was a while ago and I didn't have that much to be anxious about. So, I mean, right now it's like, there's a lot to be anxious about. So is, is it normal to not feel anxiety now? I, I don't know.
0: I, it's yeah. Well, I just started doing yoga again. And when I say I started doing yoga again, I mean, I'm doing a small, very beginner, 20 minute yoga thing, but I'm doing it every day. And I, because a decade ago I was doing a lot more yoga. And I remember waiting in line in a knob hill pharmacy where people were just irritated and the energy around me was just escalating and no one could do anything. And I just sat there and went inside myself. And I, and, and it was weird. I got to my own place without the energy around me affecting me. And I was, yeah, just, I was yeah. just completely okay. Huh. And I'm like, I got to get back there again. I don't know if I. I don't know if anyone can after pandemic, though, because I think we're all in it. We're all having a slight panic attack in the collective conscious.
1: Right. I know people are having panic attacks all over the place. I was involved in one the other day. Not my panic attack, but somebody else
0: was. You were attacking someone else and going. (laughs) No, somebody was attacking
1: me. (laughs) I was being attacked, and I remained very calm, and I found that really interesting because you know years ago I would have freaked out right along with them and and I just I was like okay that's you it's not me and it was interesting and I wonder maybe that's the remnants of years of meditation I don't know
0: yeah or maturity and you know what's interesting though because I got Sicilian in me too and that Sicilian can go like that you're getting in my way you're messing with my family Boom, you know, it's my my grandma had everyone cut off that would look at her the wrong way, you
1: know. Yeah. Like a, sure. Yeah, I guess it is a Sicilian thing. What else? What What else do you have? What else? My mom's version?
0: Norwegian, and that's mm-hmm. and that was the interesting one because that's the one I was trying to get away from because, mm-hmm. uh, and mainly just because I just want again I want to fit into the people. So when I was a kid, and she would make me just lunch, it would be a really oniony fishy lunch, and so who smelled in the class? It was me, you know, what smells it's Tony. And, um, and but it's the lunches she knew how to make because right. it's, it's um it's just, you have, you have your fish and you have this. And, <laughs> and, um and all I was trying to do was just fit in. So, and then later on, when I, the couple times I did go to Europe, my grandpa, grandpa Tor, <laughs> very Norwegian, was like, don't go to Norway. All of your relatives are Nazis. And he, and, and he like talked me into not visiting my relatives. And so I went everywhere but Norway. And, um, and it's just interesting. Like after all that, I'm like, oh yeah. You know, I, I read books about Norway or I see Norwegian films and I'm like, that's why I'm so messed up in the head. I get it. I get these people. <laughs>
1: Or maybe you're, it's because you're an artist and artists are always a little different.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yes. That's, that's a, you are such a therapist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel so calm with I you. I miss my calling.
0: <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, but I, you know, at the same time I'm reading, this book It's called the science of storytelling. I think it is. Yeah. And it, and it talks about um, psychology and storytelling kind of coming together hmm. and, how essentially a lot of what we do in therapy a lot of our talk is we're kind of retelling these stories and reshaping these stories. Mm -hmm. And then how do we fit in ourselves to these stories? And what did we do in these situations that may have contributed to something that was trauma or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's, or what was in my, you know, what was in my parents' life and their generation that they had to deal with that I just totally don't understand, you know, it's, Mm
1: -hmm. I I find, I don't know if, if you do this, but when I write fiction, more and more, I see that I'm pulling from my life. Like the story in Palm Springs Noir that I wrote is my mother, my brother and me. And it's a whole different scenario. I didn't do what my character Greta does to her brother. I didn't do that to my brother. But it's a way of working something out. I think, you know, pulling from something I lived through. Do you do that? Do you like all the time? Yourself-
0: oh, it's, I've tried to stop doing it. And it's just I can't not, I can't stop. It's um, <clears throat> and, and and part of it is I like the, I also like the fantasy element of retelling kind of what, mm-hmm. you know, well, what happened? Okay. What could have happened? And mm-hmm. then that, and then that can get fun and sticky and awful. Right. And then you can kind of go to dark places and just, and then you can be like, Oh yeah, no, I put that character there. And I was like, but it was in my head.
1: Yeah. I'm weird. No, no. But that's but what you said, what could have happened? Because I, when I was working on my story, I was thinking, you know, what happened between my brother and I? I forgave him what he did, but my character doesn't forgive her brother. And so, what would someone do who do, cannot forgive? You know, who's just so frustrated and irritated? And well, she did it. They didn't.
0: And the, and there's a there's a beauty to that. There's a beauty to that because um, I don't know why my. I just my earbuds have decided to start clicking on me in my ear. Um,
1: oh, I can't hear it. <laughs>
0: no, no, it's okay. It's just, or I'm having an aneurysm. If I if I die during this interview, it'll be in history.
1: Please don't.
0: <laughs> but um Yeah, it's and the, the, also we need conflict in our stories and we're trying to avoid conflict right. in our lives all the time. We right. want to forgive our we want to give forgive our people. We want everything to come out okay, but that's not interesting on the page. That's yeah, not interesting that's not on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, that's
1: not drama. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my
0: God. Okay, this is um. I might have to. Okay, does this stop? Um, Are you still clicking? Yeah, I'm just. Uh, but I can't hear you if I do that. Let me. All right. I'll just click. That's fine. <laughs> Clicking's okay. <laughs> I, I, I go through these ear earbuds like so much because I, I don't know why I beat them up, but uh, uh, so they'll just stop working and I got to toss them.
1: Do you tie them up in tight little knots?
0: I I, uh, I, I tie them up. I throw them in my pocket.
1: Yeah. I, you
0: know, I swear. Delicate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, back to back to your radio show. So okay. now are you not podcasting right now?
1: No, we podcast, Writers on Writing. Um, we first air on Wednesday mornings at 9 Pacific time. And then a number of days later, we'll put it on our podcast. We'll put it on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever it goes. So, yeah. So so what I was saying earlier, we're just thinking, do we keep going through the radio station or do we just do our show at home as we've been this last year and a half and podcast it? The so, yeah, we it's, do. We do it every week. It's thanks so much for coming on the show.
0: It's, it's been a lot of fun. Barbara.
1: Thank you, Tony. It's been a, a fun therapy session.
0: And as you heard, my audio died. I think it was my amp, so I had to cut out the last two minutes of the show. And that's the part where we figured out the human condition, existence of life, and the political policies that would not only create equality, but put emphasis back on funding the arts instead of corporate greed. Yet, I'm sorry, we lost the audio on that, and I can't quite remember our answers. All I know is that we both felt so relaxed and at ease because the solution was simple. And, of course, the audio cut out, and we totally forgot. So we're back to the rat race. Barbara DeMarco Barrett on Drinks with Tony. Check out her book that she edited, Palm Springs Noir, out now on Akashic Books, featuring authors like Robra Bears, Janet Fitch, Todd Goldberg. Good fun. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned next week when my guest is Matthew Spector and we chat about his new book, Always Crashing in the Same Car on Art Crisis and Los Angeles, California. Keep reading. Keep creating. Believe in yourself because I do. Unless you're a sociopath, then please stop believing in yourself and get therapy. You're listening to 101.9 FM KPCRLP. Santa Cruz.